welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have painter and muralist Nico Cathcart join us for a conversation about advocating for yourself and dismantling oppressive systems. Together, we talk about recognizing what's within our control, the importance of anchors, and the inequities of the public art world. Y'all, this episode, oh my, where do I begin? Nico just has such a positive outlook that I think so many people can benefit from and I think it's very very clear why Keith nominated her to the podcast and so I y'all will see the connection immediately just this positivity about recognizing what's within your control and also being brave to stand up for change and actually show up to do that work so Y'all, I really hope you enjoy today's episode, and I just want to say thank you to all of the listeners that have written in nominations for the podcast. I am loving seeing all the different people that y'all are connected to and look up to and want to see on the show, so keep sending those in. I will be responding to them as they come in, so... And I want to invite everyone to take a step of action. Nico and I had talked about including a transcription of the podcast. That way, if people cannot hear, that they'd be able to have a written form of our conversation. And the podcast and all these conversations on here would be accessible to all different people. But Anchor does not have this tool. Anchor is a huge hosting site, one of them that I work with and many other podcasts work with, that doesn't have this function. And it limits the description of our episode descriptions so that means I can't put a transcription there. So what I did is sent in a request to add this feature and I also included in the show notes a hyperlink to Anchor's little form thing so that you as a listener can also say, hey, I'm a supporter of Anchor Podcasts and I wish that we had this feature so that we could make podcasts more accessible to all different types of abilities. And so I want to invite you to take part of the action of making podcasts a more accessible space by doing doing that below. Otherwise, let's get into the episode and tune in. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's uh, today after I'm done with this podcast is my first day off in like three weeks, so I'm really excited. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> what have you been doing in these last two weeks? Uh, this week I've been working on. Um, there's this monster commission back here. Yeah. Um, and then catching up with everything that I missed while I was gone. I did um, Art Basel down in Miami. Mm-hmm. which is like a week and a half of just pure insanity. I did two walls in six days. And oh, wow. I met like literally all, all of the people. So wow. <laughs> it was kind of nuts this year. I think yeah, everybody yeah. went a little crazy because last year was canceled. So like compensating for that lack of a yeah, year of art. Yeah, yeah. And, and then um, 
Are you familiar with uh, what Art Basel is? No, tell me about it. So it's down in Miami Beach, and there's a bunch of art fairs. It's like an international art fair, so the best of the best galleries in the entire world all come to Miami for this week. And then the street art scene has like this whole place in Wynwood, um, which is like a neighborhood over the bridge in Miami, where like the best of the best street artists wow. come. Wow. So it's absolute insanity. Like everybody there is from the art world. Everybody has like, you know, their own thing going on. And you just kind of, it's one of those things you hit the ground running and you don't stop. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So is this something that you're invited to? Yeah, I did um, a mural festival called AWOL Mural Festival, uh-huh. which is part of um, the Art Basel thing. But, like, Art Basel is, like, a million art events that aren't actually affiliated, you know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Um, so AWOL is a public arts initiative that goes into the schools of Miami uh-huh. and kind of says, um, hey, let's, um, let's, you know, give the kids something cool. We have this mm. great event happening. Let's bring, like, international-level artists to come, like, repaint the schools. So I did a school called Arvita Elementary in Miami, which is a little outside of the Wynwood area, but the kids were all amazing. I could tell that it was, like, affecting their day-to-day. Um, uh. And I did a big three-story mural there of a Cuban-American woman who has ties to Miami. Amazing. Um, it was, like, an ocean conservation piece. Yeah. Um, so that was huge. I did that in six days and uh, wow. I had a little bit of help like rolling out the first colors, but mostly by myself. So. Wow. <laughs> um, and then um, when I finished with that and like a little overlapping, I worked with the Few and Far Women, which is an international all women's paint collective that comes out of graffiti. Um, and they invited me to take part in this large mural collaboration right in Wynwood on Fifth Avenue in Miami that had, I think, 37 women from all over um, the world painting all at the same time on the same theme. Wow. Um, so I did that, and I kind of did that mural in, like, 12 hours. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then hit up all the art fairs and then flew home and started right. bad boy. Crazy. Could you tell me, like, what is the normal amount of time it takes to finish a piece like that? Because I have no sense of, like, what I would expect for hours-wise to do something like uh, this. Um, it kind of depends on necessity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, to take yeah. a lot more than that. <laughs> um, the, the one that was doing far on fifth, I had known that I had a huge one with AWOL, so I was, like, give me a small piece. So that one's, like, really, like, AP by AP. It's real small. So okay. 12 hours is not bad. The AWOL one, which is three stories and like mm-hmm. 60 feet wide um usually i would like to take around two weeks for that but i took six days oh my god wow so, okay yeah. wow <laughs> you do what you you do what you need to exactly yeah when you're in that circumstance but it sounds like you're well known within the community and getting invited to very prominent events uh, well, I don't know about that. It's a big world, but <laughs> oh, I'm going to bid you up. I mean, come on. You said these were the best of the best and it's an invitation thing. It's been, it's been an interesting year for me. I've done a lot yeah, more um, on the road than I ever have. So I'm really grateful and like humbled for the opportunities. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, like that being invited to Basel, like the day that that happened when the festival reached out and said, Hey, we got a wall for you. I like, 
I'm like, I'm not cool enough for that. I got really excited. I went and you were, like, interrupting my husband and his, like, work. He was like, I'm going to Basel. And he's like, ah! I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> but to you, it's everything. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. I said that's amazing. Have you integrated you. what that means to you as an artist? Um, I haven't yet. Mm. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the project, AWOL, the project, is such a really cool way to get, you know, started with that team. That was not the central, like, thing that was happening in Miami that week, but I feel like that's one of the more impactful things because it went into the community. Mm-hmm. And I super love projects that take the community into into perspective when putting themselves together because my industry can be used for gentrification so easily. Right. Big developers can throw money at you and make it look like it's local. Mm. Right. So being involved with something like AWOL is really important to me, like as an artist, to feel mm-hmm. like I have a connection to the community and that I'm not just trying to like, you know, whitewash their walls. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause this is the one that was with the kids. Right. So they didn't, they didn't really help me paint it, but they did come out and talk to me. Um, mm. the, the best moment of that wall had nothing to do with paint. So going, I'm, I'm deaf. I'm talking to mm-hmm. you with, um, that hearing aids in here and a little microphone. So that makes it hard for me to be painting and people to talk to me, you know? Yeah. Usually people can talk to you while you're working and I need to turn around and look at you and know. So I came down like towards the end of the mural and this little girl came like tugged on my shirt and said, I heard your doll. I sang. She said, thank you for the beautiful art. Oh. And I just like. <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh <laughs> so, like, my God. Moments like that were like. Wow. Really cool for me to like be able to experience, you know? Yeah. And for that little girl to be able to look up to you. It, it was so like. <laughs> I don't have words for it. It was, it was, it was really endearing. Um, yeah. And at the moment, like going through these like public things that I do mm-hmm. as a deaf person is really difficult because you know you go to these parties with all these like really great connections, and everybody can have like casual conversation. Yeah. And I can't, so I'm kind of like grasping at straws. So being able to have that moment with this little girl who's like really attempting to reach out and communicate because I'm deaf. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's so profound. Ugh. Would you be willing to say more about that difficulty in public spaces and how you navigate that? Well, yeah. Absolutely. Um, it, it's kind of become a little bit more defining. Um, I sound, to anyone listening to this, I probably don't sound deaf because I'm a late deaf and adult. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a genetic condition that basically my cochlea is balding, and your cochlea is this little snail thing in your inner ear. Mm-hmm. It's got little hairs, and um, sound really just vibrate those little hairs. That sends an electrical impulse to your brain, mm-hmm. and that is what makes you hear. And mine just isn't doing that anymore. I communicate usually through um, like lip reading, but I'm learning to sign. And um, I'm learning to sign because it's become increasingly difficult because this is a degenerative thing. Um, mm-hmm. I've got about 30% of my hearing. These hearing aids are great. I love them. They're great technology, but they don't give you back everything. Yeah. Uh, it's not like putting on glasses, you know, where you can put on glasses and get 20-20. You put on hearing aids and it just amplifies that. 
Mm. Um, and the technology is great. It like pitch shifts now, so if it's close to my range, my my you know there's a computer readout to my hearing aids that will shift it into my range. But there's things like um, those birds in my word work a lot because I can't hear them, and even mm. with my hearing aids, I can't mm. hear them. So that just makes casual conversation really difficult. Yeah, and when you work in like the arts. Some of it is based on your talent, but a lot of it is about, like, how you navigate, you know, the world. Like, um, how you make connections. Mm-hmm. Um, it's rarely, like, a lone wolf sitting in the room creating brilliant art. You can do that, but nobody will ever know about it. So I get put in these situations, like Basel, where you're going to, you know, art openings and all these things with, like, people that are also working in your community. And you just find these moments where you just, like, I like to call it, like, Charlie Brown's mom. Like, you know, somebody is talking to you, and you get the noise. But to me, it's like, like I'm underwater or something. Mm. So that creates weirdness, where, like, you say something out of place, and people are like, "Mm," or you're just kind of smiling and laughing along. And I think that's a a common experience for people with hearing loss at any, any kind of stage. Yeah, and, uh, and the worse it gets, the more I realize that I need to be able to sign to communicate because it's just easier to do. <laughs> yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah, uh, that's that's a lot to navigate. I feel like in that moment of trying to connect with someone and holding that difficulty of being able to hear, but also wanting to be there, knowing the implications that it does have for your career and your networking. Right, right, and oh, it's just yeah. it's just harder to be like just kind of like off the cuff and like you need to plan more and you need to like kind of set yourself up for success as much as possible um, yeah and people don't always understand that your brain is like usually occupied with that part <laughs> and they they're having a good time and you're just kind of stressed out because you're like oh well did i laugh at the right thing <laughs> right 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 <laughs> it's just it's just a thing that i think a lot of people don't realize especially with you know hearing loss in particular because you look normal, you sound yes. normal, you don't, you have an invisible disability. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to just ignore that in a person. Yeah, 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 because yeah. from the outside, they wouldn't know that in your head you were going through all these different worlds and all these different focus and all this stuff that you have to hold to show up in the way that you want to show up. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's just it's just like living in this like fear that you're going to miss something a lot, mm. um, and you do, and you just have to kind of move past that. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. How does it feel to be in that space? Um, it can it can be really really lonely and dark sometimes to tell yeah. you the truth. But I think that living with a disability is about your attitude, right? You hell yeah, keep yourself positive and motivated, and it won't. You know, it, it won't win <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because there's nothing really wrong with me. I'm just different. Yes. But when other people don't see that, it, it, it can be really isolating. Mm-hmm. Do you have a community of people that you feel like can see you in that full identity? Um, I think it's hard for other people to like fully understand. Um, I do have a couple of people that I talk to within the creative community that are also deaf. Um, Amazing. Yeah in different ways and we travel in different circles but sometimes I just have to take a step back and be like does this happen to you yeah (laughs) and then like uh, the online community is really great because you know you can through Instagram and YouTube you can connect with these people that 
you might not be having face-to-face conversations with. Ha ha ha, we're deaf. Right. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you can, like, feel like other people are going through it. Um, yeah. And that's been helping. Yeah. Um, my dad is also deaf, so it got that. Like, yeah. Kind of <laughs> right. Exactly. To have that those people that can understand you and that, I can imagine how valuable that is asking that question, does this happen to you? Is this normal? Right. Right. I like I like sometimes calling my mom. My mom is is a hearing person but deals with my deaf father a lot. So she mm-hmm. sees a lot of stuff that I I witness like on a day-to-day like yeah. You know, things. I can just call and be like, "Do people do this to dad too?" like <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah. They just like talk over you or just, you know, and I'm, I'm just like, "Oh yeah, that happens all the time." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feeling that community in those moments. I love what you said about um, living with a disability is about your attitude. I think it is. It's really easy to let the unfairness Mm -hmm. feeling like take over. I'm totally guilty of that. I mean, no one goes through disability without frustration, but. I try and psych myself up, and my partner should get it telling me, like, hey, you're doing all this stuff that, like, people in your community, like, your work community want to do, and you're doing it with this big disability that no one sees, so remember mm-hmm. that. And yeah. If I go into it with that, then, mm. you know, I, I, I'm giving the best I can. Right, of course. Of course. Were there times where you felt like you were really stuck in that headspace of focusing on the unfairness of it? I think everybody gets stuck in that sort of thing. I can't, I, I can't know what everybody's experience with disability is. Of course. But sometimes it's just, you know, you're sitting in that party and you're looking at all these people that you should, you have so much in common with and you should be able to talk to and it's just too loud and, uh, you know, no yeah. one, no one will make that extra step for you and you're just kind of sitting there and you're like oh man that's just but this is the person I really want to talk to and I think it's really easy in those moments like just get lost in that kind of isolation and I'm sure that happens with everyone who has a disability and it's really just a game of getting from that place to an okay place and knowing that it's not you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how did you go between those two places um, it helps when you have an anchor, I think. Uh, my, my anchor is definitely my partner. So I'll, I'll be in those places. And usually when I'm in those places, I'm, I'm far from home because I'm, I've gotten myself in that situation. Um, and I'm sitting and it's almost always some sort of bar, party, or like industry thing. And I'm just like, <sighs> like I said something had been misunderstood or like, and I'll just, get my phone out and like text my partner like just mm. say something nice right now yeah <laughs> um and he'll help me get back um I'm, I'm learning to do that for myself it always helps to have like a, an anchor in in the world oh of course i feel like there's so much pressure that we have to be able to self-soothe on our own all the time that we need to be right. able to control all of these emotions and be perfectly capable of handling them and like yes to some degree that is a good point we don't want to be codependent but equally it's right. so so good and normal to lean on the important people that see you fully and who you are in those moments to feel that connection and community 
Yeah, yeah. I think we're living in a time that there's a lot of, like, unprocessed and difficult things. To have a disability in the middle of these times is, is just, you know, it's extra. Yeah. <laughs> like, we, we're dealing with, like, a collective trauma of a pandemic, and, you know, everybody's on edge because of that. You add on something, you know, it gets... Have you ever heard of the Spoon series? No, no, but I am ready for you to tell me. Um, I, I cannot tell you the exact person that came up with it. I, I read about it in a paper about psychology and um, people that deal with chronic disability. And um, specifically, this one was about chronic pain. So it's like you start your day with a certain amount of spoons, right? And then, like, you know, maybe, you know, it hurts to get out of bed, so that takes a spoon. You know, and, you know, you have to talk to someone on the phone that takes a spoon. And then you run out of spoons, and then at that point, you're completely emotionally depleted. Yeah. And, and um, I often talk to people who I talk to about my disability in, in terms of those spoons. Because, you know, you take off my known plan away, you've taken a spoon, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that's a good way to, like, talk about processing yeah. these things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's it's so fascinating that we live in a society, I think, where we imagine that our brains are kind of like computers, where we just have these this ultimate capacity to hold so many different things, so many different tabs all at once and multitask, right? But right. I, I think there's this painful reality that our brains can only hold so much at a given time, kind of like these spoons, right? Like you start with a set amount and that is what you can hold today. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you got those eighty-seven tabs open. You open the eighty-eighth, yes. and your computer's definitely gonna crash. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we keep thinking that we can be that person that has all these different things of life, all these different relationships, all these different things we're processing. I'm totally fine with eighty-nine tabs. You know, like totally fine. But that is not realistic. Yeah, you got it. well. It's all we're all like that dog cartoon, like in front of the flame dumpster, going, "This is fine." why is that the meme of our like time like that is not good that that is how we all relate to one of another whoever drew that comic was like knew something (laughs) yeah i actually was walking once and i saw the dog in a window and there was like a plush version of the dog and i was like i didn't know the meme made it out into other forms of art but that has that has made it out (laughs) exactly yeah and i think it's it's so we have to come back to the reality that we can only hold so much and i think we see this in different facets depending on what you're focusing on and living with a disability takes certain spoons that need to be dedicated to taking care of yourself and what you need specifically for your health and benefit you know Mm mm-hmm it's been a challenge in, in the yeah. last little bit. As as my career gets, you know, a little bit more on solid ground, uh, it affects more. Would you be willing to share how it's been a challenge for you? Uh, I mean, it's just the same thing we were just talking about, just like missing those connections and, you know, maybe not responding in the correct way to things when you're mm. out in public, especially when you're in situations where there's masks, it's like, Oh yeah, and the wow, hope for yeah. Communicating at that point, it's learning sign language, but knowing that almost no one in my field will know it. So I can learn to speak it, but if no one speaks it to me, <laughs> it's it's not that helpful in right. my career. So mm. it's kind of dealing with the ableism of that yes. field. Yes, definitely. And I didn't even think about the mask piece, which makes lip reading so much harder. Oh, yeah. The first couple of months of the pandemic on Doc People were like... Wow. 
Yeah. That's, yeah, wow, that's definitely an ableist thing to not even think about that level of complexity that is within this larger dynamic of the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, there's so much. It affects people in different ways, but deaf people definitely had a hard time. So it took me a long time to figure out that I could connect my hearing aids to Zoom. Yeah, wow. And then an even longer time to realize that there were subtitle apps that I could use to make this kind of communication even possible. Wow. So the first, like, couple of years, everybody was, like, starting to do those Zoom parties and stuff. Yes, yes. I definitely did that and then went... Can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't be part of this. It also sounds like there are so many strengths in your journey, like, so many times where you have connected back to yourself of what do you need in those moments and having the creativity to... Yeah, embrace your different needs and advocate for yourself when you need to. It's a thing. It's a skill that I've had to learn. It's 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 really easy for me to like fade into the background because you know that's kind of how you're raised as a woman. You know, you're like you don't don't cause a lot of trouble. Yeah. So I've been learning a lot about advocating for myself, removing myself from those situations, and then just saying, you know, this is not for me. Yeah. How do you do that? Can you say more? I think that is such a powerful thing of not easing into the background. Honestly, it's it's really just learning to have the strength to tell people um, that you have that disability, like constantly. It's not something that comes easy. It's it's kind of feels like, although I know I'm not broken, it kind of feels like mm. that's what I'm saying over and over again. So. Yeah. Just stopping a conversation, saying, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not understanding you, I'm deaf, it's not your fault. I say that 90 times a day. Mm. <laughs> and just asking people to rephrase. Cause usually, my brain is really great at figuring out what's going on. If I just have a different, you say it in a different way, I can usually get it. So I've just, I've just had to be able to say that. And then there's times where, like, um, I'll be on, like, a call like this and not understand and be like, I'm so sorry. Can we, like, speak in uh, over email or over text? I'm really happy to talk to you, but this is not what you function very well for me. Right, 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 right. And then, uh, like, hoping <laughs> that they don't get angry. <laughs> yeah, but there's so much power in that for advocating for yourself. I, I mean, it feels nice when people, like, realize that, oh, well, maybe I should stop calling. It's, I get a lot of people that give me phone calls still, and there's no way I can answer a phone call. Because I'm, I'm considered disabled, the government gave me a um, phone that does talk to text, which is, I've got an interpreter that will, like, type out what the person says, but it takes so long to do that that it's really awkward, and I don't mm-hmm. enjoy using it, so mm-hmm, I, I just mm-hmm, have to, mm-hmm. like, Train people like, oh, you want to talk to me? That's great. I'm happy to talk to you. Email or text. Yes. Or you. Exactly. Exactly. And then in that, you both get what you need out of that communication and you feel like you're able to fully show up once you advocate for yourself properly, right? There was a long time that I would try and sit through those phone calls and then a lot of it was just doing the the traditional, I don't think anyone who's deaf knows this one, smile and nod. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. What made you switch? I think I think it was honestly just missing information, like not realizing I was supposed to be at this place at this time because I just didn't get that information. Mm. Even though that person did convey it to me. It's not their fault that they didn't understand how bad my hearing loss is. 
And it's not really my fault for not hearing it, but it is my it, under my control to be able to like control how that information changes. Yeah, like change happens. Right, 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 right. I love that reframe. I mean, there's so much of our life that is completely out of our control, right? I mean, so many things even beyond the disability of just this life that we live in that we cannot control and to bring it back to what we can focus on is advocating for yourself, saying this is what I need here and focusing back our control to those smaller variables that we can change is so powerful. Yeah, yeah. And I like I I still live in this like worry that I'll lose opportunity because of it, but I just kind of have to like mm. you know what maybe that wasn't the opportunity for me if they're not going to you know respect me enough to understand that I cannot be on a call. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And those are maybe not the people that you want to be in relationship with if that's what they are. And at the same time, I mean you equally have unique opportunities that other people will never understand. That moment with that girl that came up to you and that connection. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. And I think it's important for people who live with deafness. Like I sat in a meeting recently and somebody asked me why they thought there wasn't more deaf people in the arts. And I went, this is really hard to get into that. You don't know that you can even do it. Um, I was I was privileged enough to be sort of hearing when I started, but someone who is born completely deaf and uses ASL as a primary form of communication won't have the opportunity to just go into a gallery and have a conversation with someone unless they have an interpreter. You need that extra thing. So it's important, I think, for people to see deaf representations in the arts yes. to realize that you can do it. Like seeing these new, like the new, like Marvel movie has a deaf character in it, and that's amazing. The actress who played it just, you know, did an interview in ASL where she said, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't think I could do any of that because I was deaf. You know, it's very important for like younger generations of disabled people just to know that you can. Like, yes. you're not, you're not burdened by this thing mm-hmm. that isn't workaroundable, you know? Right, definitely. Yeah, I mean, media is so, so powerful to portray potential worlds that people could embody, right? And so if if you're living through this world with a disability and not seeing yourself in all this media that's coming back, it's really hard to ever imagine you could be in that space. So yeah, you right. occupying this role within the art, arts community, you're a whole symbol to other people who... I'm sure look up to you and the work that you do. Thank you. I think I think it's like a double edged thing with me. I do, you know, because I'm disabled, but I'm also a woman working in an incredibly yeah. inequitable, yeah, you know, industry. So just trying to like push forward is is making it's making a point. It's an important thing to do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, those two identities definitely intersect. Being a woman and having a disability and that can create even more complexity in this dynamic of an art world that is so based on a lot of male power and networking yeah Yeah. it's like there's a certain point of people that like just dismiss me just because i'm a female talking very loudly about female issues so yeah yeah deafness on top of that oof (laughs) <laughs> yeah, how do they dismiss you? I'm so curious. What it like what is the vibe um, that you're I, getting? You know what? I think a lot of it is a passive dismissal. Oof. Um, oof. If you know what I mean, like Yeah, tell me. Uh, when you look at like the lineups in like the major galleries, I think there's like 30% of those galleries are women. Mm. Like, like artists that are being represented. Art collections are 
mostly male right now. They're changing. They're starting to change. But when I was growing up, when I was that little girl, I didn't learn about a woman artist. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and the art world works very similarly. They'll have like maybe one woman in the lineup. Now that's not everybody, but the powers, the very big powers with all the money, still like that. <laughs> yeah, they have a lot of control to choose who gets to be represented to the world. Right. And and I think like people will often say, well, art like you know that doesn't sell, and it's like, well, that's because you don't sell it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. They have talked about in film how that was something that was happening where, like, originally when film was getting really popular, all of the genres were very male-focused because they didn't feel like a female audience was there to buy and pay for tickets to go to the movies. And so they just skipped out on this whole genre and this whole slew of people that would have connected with that. And they're realizing that, wow, there actually is a whole group of people now that they're trying to sell us with movies now. It still comes back to capitalism. (laughs) It it works very similarly because it's the same people in control of these decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you look at like public art, which is where I, I, I do studio art and I do public art, but public art in particular is run by the people making the decisions about what are going on those walls, with the exceptions of some festivals, are, are usually rich, white people who are going with that narrative that they have been taught. Yeah. It's interesting to like navigate that industry um, and see you see the inequities like, daily (laughs) yeah how do we dismantle that what do we do how do we destroy it honestly um i i don't know that i have the answer to that but i think it is part of it lies within um the patrons of the art questioning the the decisions that are happening people have a lot of power and if people are you know looking for and actively supporting women artists or artists of color or artists with disabilities that speaks a lot. Um, galleries will listen up. And, like, if you see what happened, like, in New York with the Matt and the Sackler family, people, like, were protesting and, you know, calling out that, you know, connection. And it's made a difference. They pulled off the name of that family. So people have a lot of power. Buying power and their support power really makes a difference within the art community. Yeah, wow. I think people forget that, how much power we have and what we support to actually make the change since they're truly trying to sell to us at the end of the day, right? <laughs> right. So like if you're if you're like seeing new art going up on your block and it's it's, you know, it's you know, not addressing what's happening within the community, speaking up is the only way they could, you know, mm, do that. Or yeah. asking for art of specific groups would be amazing. How would someone ask or speak up for that? I mean, I think honestly showing up to whoever's putting it on. Like you okay. you see someone starting like a fundraising project questioning who is being, you know, hired for this. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know, it's and it's hard to do, but you have to kind of seek out opportunities and it's different for each wall, but large developers are putting up walls and, you know, the community can have a lot to say about that just by reaching out to them. Yeah, certainly. Because, I mean, I I live in Chicago, so there's just wall art all over the place. But I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, not being necessarily in that artistic community, I wouldn't even know the first place to start to even ask for a change in representation. Like, I wouldn't even, like, I wouldn't even know what to Google to even find out who controls these sorts of things to even start pushing for a different change. 
the, the community can talk to city council. You can okay. talk to, you know, your local representatives about, like, how okay. is this being done? Yeah, I didn't know about this. And, yeah, I think that's an important piece <laughs> of, like, yeah, where is the advocacy and this sort of thing? Like, what can we do to make this change happen? Right. I, th- I think a lot, a lot of artists are starting to wake up. I think with public art in particular, if you're working and not actively, you know, being vocal about representation, about issues that matter, and you're kind of wasting the privilege that you mm-hmm. have as, mm-hmm. as a public artist. Um, yes. But we can't do everything because people have to, like, give us the balls. Right, Exa- exactly, <laughs> exactly. This is a community effort to be able to make this society better. Right, right, right. And, um, like, I try really hard, and I'm not perfect, but of I course, try really yeah. hard to make sure that everything that I do means something. It's not just decoration. What I do, street art, murals, <clears throat> it's an old, old art form. It's one of the oldest, the oldest piece mm-hmm. of art we have. Really? It's a drawing on a cave wall. Yeah. And and it's always been the art of the people. It's been an art of communication. And, and it's an art that, you know, gathers people. So, you know, trying not to be decorative is really important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I and I appreciate that. And I just want to say thank you for that work and to be so intentional in that, that it's a big honor to be able to chat with you and to get to hear that perspective, right? Oh, I mean, thank you. Yeah, so many people could just take that opportunity to have that wall, that chance and use it for their own gain and, you know, push what sells to be able to make more money, to have more security in this life and yada, yada, right? So like for you to be actively going against that status quo and pushing for a better society that you believe in takes a lot of guts. It's not an easy job. It's a really fun job. (laughs) Yeah. But it comes with a lot of it. I know, which is why I want to say thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, earlier you said I had I, I take notes. Um, you said a lot of other people in the community with disabilities might think that they can't even do what you do. Mm-hmm. And I'm also thinking about that girl that came up to you. Is there anything that you would want to say to those people who might be listening? Oh, absolutely! You can totally do it. It seems like it's a mountain that's hard to climb, but you might need like a friend to help you uh, from time to time. But it's totally a mountain you can climb. Mm, yes. <laughs> I still go with, you know, my own disability. I still find myself in the middle of, you know, those parties that scare me. I just kind of have to tell myself I can get through this and I can do it. And, you know, somebody will help me. <laughs> somebody will have the empathy to understand, like, okay, let's just talk to this here. Let's get exchange emails and we'll talk later. You just got to face your fear and just do it. Yes, yes. And once you face that fear and you're accepted and find that connection, it gets a little bit easier, I feel like, each time to start stepping up and to embrace that. Yeah. It does. It does. Um, You're your own superhero, I think, when you're you're, uh, disabled because you, you have the experience of overcoming all these things. And other people don't. Like, they don't understand that feeling of, you know, I have faced something that I did not do to myself, but, and made everything seem impossible, but I can just do this. I know yes. I can do this. Yes. I love that. That might have to be the title of the episode. You are your own superhero. <laughs> you are your own superhero. I think that that's very important for everyone. Like, 
people all have their own setbacks. It's not just mm-hmm. being disabled that you right. can take away that feeling, but you just kind of have to make it your reality. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's no. possible. Certainly. I mean, none of this life we're going to experience, this life is full of pain, whether it be traumas that have occurred to you that were way outside of your control, different privileges that maybe you weren't, you know, given, given the like larger social systematic oppression that we have or various things like a disability. These things are super, super painful. But I think a lot of what you're talking about is bringing it back to the focus of what can you control, advocating for yourself, asking for what you need, and in that becoming your own superhero because you have that focus on what's within your power. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you just have to know yourself and know what you need to ask for. Uh, Um, And it's it's an ongoing thing. You have to like be able to forgive yourself when you slip up a little and you find yourself in that situation where you're just totally lost. That's okay. You do it next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can definitely see why Keith wanted you to come on the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keith is one of my favorite people. <laughs> yeah. He came over for Thanksgiving. It was fun. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He is such a good ball of energy. I love his perspective. And he also has such a positive outlook on life that I really appreciate. He does. And sometimes, you know, when things are really frustrating, just sitting with Keith on my back deck and just like complaining about stuff. And he's like, yeah, but you know what? You got this. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I can be an anchor too. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I recorded with him during my semester at a lower point where I was just so stressed out. I like was chatting with him and I was like, I don't know if I can do this, man. Like, I don't know. You can't be unhappy and talk to Keith. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes, which I love that. And I love that energy. And yeah, I can see why he sees so much strength and beautiful things in you that, yeah, I just have had the pleasure of getting to see your world and your strength. And yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Of course. I do ask one question of everyone. And I think it it really reminds me of the question that you ask your mom about your dad. Like, does this happen? to him as well. Um, I ask everyone on the podcast, what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? You know what? I think I wish everybody knew that it's normal to be going through your own private battles. And I think everybody is probably dealing with like a little war inside their head and they have their own stumbling blocks, you know, and you might not know about it. And I think everybody needs to know that's normal. Um, and also, like, as you're talking to a person, be a little kind about that, because you don't know what everybody's going through. Don't be so judgy if somebody seems like, you know, they're ignoring you. Perhaps they can't hear you. Yeah. And that's just totally normal. Mm, yes. I think that's one of the biggest things I'm learning as I continue in this field of psychology is that everyone is going through that internal battle of some sort or shape. Literally everyone. I agree. It's just all different facets of whatever someone's struggling with. And so if you can keep that in mind and recognize not to take things so personally when someone might respond in some way because they're going through their own world their own world of things that they are processing. And I'm going through my own world and we do our best to manage those expectations in that time. I I think that that's really important to know. And and it's hard to know, like, as you're going through, like, you don't understand that, you know, everybody's, somebody else might have a need that's more great, greater than your own comfort, you know? Yes. Have you ever, um, 
heard the David Foster Wallace, um, this is water speech. No, but I'm writing it down. I have time after this. Yeah, I, it, it's one of my favorite things because it, it's, while David Foster Wallace as a person has some character flaws. Sure. The, this specific speech, which was given as, it was a commencement address, actually. But it was about, it's kind of about learning empathy, but also learning that, you know, about life. You don't know what other people are going through, right? So, like, you know, you got really mad at that person who cut you off in traffic, but what you don't know is that's dad with, you know, their son just put their head open, they're rushing to the hospital, and their need to get ahead of you is greater than your need to get home. Mm. And I've always tried to carry that with me ever since I read that. You have to remember that other people are people, and they might have issues that are greater than your own. Right. And even if they're not greater than your own to some degree, right? Like there is some valid. (laughs) Exactly. I think that's the biggest piece is that it's still valid because that's what they're experiencing. And I think that's super heavy to hold though, when you might be going through this world with a disability, feeling like this is so much more real than your, you know, being late to a meeting that is causing you to act this way, right? But to them, that's their world. And it is so hard to hold that complexity of validness, even even though it's 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 like holding a bunch of like plates in your hand and yes. trying not to fall. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's hard. It's hard, and it takes a lot of emotional. It takes a lot of spoons. See, I tell you, the spoons. <laughs> I have to remember. This, I think yeah. it was a psychologist that came up with it. Like it was yeah. a beautiful analogy for someone living with a disability of any kind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I, I wrote down that commencement speech. So yeah, my, my mom sometimes will just text me spoons and I know uh, what she means. Yes. <laughs> you know, she's just done. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I have ran out of spoons for today. Please check in tomorrow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this has been so lovely. I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Is there somewhere that you want to plug for people who want to see your art and i know you mentioned a lot of beautiful pieces that yeah where can oh, people you can find, find this? my work all over the place i really would love to tell you to check out a wall mural festival they are constantly looking for money because it's a festival done by artists for artists and i'm hoping i should be back next year but they need some financial support um i'll tell you to check out few and far women which is the largest all women paint crew in the world and then for me my instagram is just my name nico cathcart and you can catch up with uh what i do there you can find my work in um actually beijing china for art for the people which is done by the u.s embassy taking muralists that work um specifically with climate change and blowing their work up big work that was done in the united states big and um they're all outside um the u.s embassy in beijing and you can also check out my website which is just nicocatcart.com uh and you can reach out to me with questions anytime awesome and i'll also keep hyperlinks so if anyone ever wants to find it will be all in the show notes so yeah <laughs> well thank you i really appreciate your time thank you so much i appreciate you having me on um i'm glad keith made the connection <laughs> yeah If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're a part of the Anarchist community, then follow us on Instagram or nominate a guest for the show by sending in a letter to modernanarchypodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.